Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Cyberspeak with InfoSec Institute podcast. This is an audio rebroadcast of a recent webinar we hosted entitled Red Team Operations, Attack and Think Like a Criminal. If you've been interested in the rapidly developing field of Red Team tactics but want some more info that separates the fact from the fiction, you won't want to miss this episode. Our guest speaker today is InfoSec Institute instructor Jeremy Martin. Over the course of this webinar, Jeremy will help you understand the mindset of an attacker. Among the topics discussed are the job duties of a red team professional, frameworks and strategies for conducting red team assessments, how to get started and progress your offensive security career, and we also have time at the end to take questions from live viewers. Just as a reminder, if you'd like to see this webinar as it unfolds, including presentation slides, you can find this podcast on our YouTube page by searching for InfoSec Institute on YouTube and visiting our channel. As a special opportunity for podcast listeners, you can receive up to $500 worth of hacking toys with class signups. Just visit infosecinstitute.com slash hacking dash toys to learn more. Without further ado, here along with moderator Camille Dupuy is InfoSec's own Jeremy Martin. Before I turn it over to Jeremy, I just wanted to share a little bit about him. Uh, Jeremy is a senior security researcher and he is an instructor for us here at InfoSec Institute. Um, so as a senior security researcher, he has focused his profession around red team penetration testing, computer forensics, open source intelligence, and cyber warfare. Starting his career in 1995, Mr. Martin has worked with Fortune 200 companies and federal government agencies, also has received a number of awards for his service. Jeremy currently provides training and helps manage the computer forensics lab for the Abu Dhabi Judicial Department in the United Arab Emirates. Um, and outside consulting, he is an instructor, security researcher, published author, and speaks at security conferences around the world. Jeremy's current research projects include vulnerability analysis, threat profiling, exploitation automation, anti-forensics, open source intelligence gathering, and reverse engineering malware. So definitely, um, you know, an incredible person to have with us, someone with a lot of knowledge in the space. Um, Jeremy's also a volunteer for local ISSA and ICFEI chapters. He's held positions for the Open Information Systems Security Group um, and sitting on the board of directors for Denver's InfraGuard chapter. Um, so again, just an amazing person to have with us. And on top of that, he also holds over 30 professional certifications. So with that, we'll turn it over to Jeremy now. Um, thanks for being available to join us and, and take some time out of your busy schedule. So we'll let you go ahead and tell us a little bit about what we're chatting about today. So basically today, we're going to cover what it is to be a red team. I personally, the thing is probably one of the more fun um, situations in security because people pay you to pretend to be the bad guy. So you're just doing it legally. So what a red team is, traditionally, it's going to be a group of subject matter experts, but um, you are can be a subject matter expert, hopefully a team of different skill sets. So you might have somebody with, say, physical security background, could be programming, could be, of course, network, so very common wireless, and then just work together to achieve the goal. So I know with uh, things like social engineering, that uh, definitely does take uh, quite a bit of skill set. One of the most uh, iconic individuals out there that uh, focused on social engineering specifically, good old Kevin Mitnick. Each person that uh, has a unique skill set on the team is a uh, valued asset. But the biggest thing comes down to trying to pretend to be an adversary. 
think of it uh, in this way. Sometimes it might be just break in any way you can. Otherwise, they might say, we have this specific uh, uh, competitor. They've been attacking us. And we want you to mimic their attack base. Some tools will even automate the process and do things such as like APT. There's a pretty decent commercial tool out there that started off from uh, uh, was Metasploit and then made an interface to that called Armitage, a uh, good old Cobalt Strike. But when it comes down to it, the biggest thing comes to where trying to basically break in. A lot of people, they, do, they only see how things are built, so how they've been architected. So it was built for a very specific reason. That's all it's supposed to do. But unfortunately, a lot of things work differently than the way it was originally designed. For example, uh, last year, there was an issue to where uh, some security researchers found out there was a vulnerability in DNA sequencer. And so what they ended up doing was they wrote malware and then encoded it DNA and had the sequencer read it. And that, in effect, uh, made a backdoor in that system, which then called home. So you're trying to think about not just uh, how some of the common bad guys would do it, but how anybody could potentially bypass something that was built in. In that scenario that I just mentioned, there's very limited reason why certain type of environments may need to get access to the internet. So for example, the DNA sequencer probably didn't need internet access. Same thing with ICS and uh, SCADA systems. I'm not sure if anybody of you have uh, seen a place like Shodan before, but when it comes down to it, there's uh, a lot of potential systems out there that should not be online. So places like Shodan, you can use for information gathering. So some people will call this open source intelligence gathering, OSINT, uh, Recon. But basically what you're trying to do is trying to find out what's public. And you're not even testing the target, not touching them at all. Uh, again, some of the sites like Shodan, there's tools like Ego. Um, there's all kinds of good information gathering items out there to help automate the process. So again, these things may not even be internet accessible. So I know a lot of HR departments has gone through and uh, pushed even further to where they will ask, we need this very specific skill set. So it could be, let's say, SE Linux. And at that point, you know that they're using Linux boxes and they also have security enhanced Linux. So absolutely, there's a recon or OSINT that can do most of your job for you, especially things like social networking sites. I know so many people have a social network profile. Most of us do, especially if you're on the security side. People disgruntled talking about their work or they're proud of their work and they're talking about it. And you can get a sidebar conversation with them. And sometimes they do leak out a little bit. So I know we were talking about Shodan, but what's interesting about that whole scenario is that uh, they're based off of NMAP scans anyway. <laughs> they just they go a few steps further. So if you haven't gone there, it's definitely a, a good resource. With that said, looking for things beyond uh, normal cyber weaknesses like open ports. I know we kind of mentioned disgruntled employees, but it's things that you're looking for that are not necessarily obvious, uh, especially to the client. Um, I've had some scenarios to where, again, stuff like uh, contacting some of the sales staff, uh, seeing if they're selling specific content or pretending to be target, and then contacting the vendor and saying, I want more seat license uh, for a specific product. And the salesperson might say, yeah, it's going to be this amount. Uh, you already have this amount of licenses. If they come back and say, hey, we don't see that you have this technology, then, of course, that also tells you something that they probably don't. Um, or if they do, it's not part of their main organization. Things like that. Or if you can even get on-site. I had a, a colleague that's a little bit uh, more eager than I am. What he'll do is a recon and try to find out when they have new hire orientation. 
So once he finds that, and a lot of times that might be Fridays, it could be Wednesdays, whenever. He will then research who the hiring managers are, um, what groups are hiring, and he usually tries to go for an IT position, a system admin, not necessarily a high-level security, but somebody low in the ranks, but would still have good access. And he'll try to get insight, and knowing that he doesn't have any authority to be there, go to the security desk and say, I'm here for new hire orientation. I was told to be here. Where's trading? Security officer guard usually calls up HR or walks him to the area. Once HR gets involved, of course, he's not on the list, but he's convincing and he has a fake offer letter. And they usually gets put into trading and at the end of the week comes out with credentials. And at that point, again, it's you're looking at uh, the guards themselves. Just let them through HR. Just let them through. He's able to just walk in. Most people in general are non-confrontational, which is good to an extent. It's human nature. So if somebody is uh, in an area that they shouldn't be, either contact security, things in that area, but they usually don't. So those are things you want to look for would be actual open doors or see if anybody will open them for you. I have a, a very good um, a percentage of if I'm carrying something or somebody goes to open the door, I hold it uh, open, but instead of going in, I let a few people in and then follow them. So definitely look not just for the cyber. Again, it's usually the human factor is the biggest weakness. Uh, and then, of course, physical always big issue, too. Now, Jeremy, just, you know, bringing up the point you just talked about researching, you know, when they have orientation and stuff, I suppose it's it's pretty easy to find that information. Maybe on LinkedIn, someone posted, you know, oh, hey, I've got a new position. I'm so excited to start working with with this company. And uh, my orientation is Tuesday. Can't wait to start. Um, so I think people, you know, need to be aware that even on professional sharing sites, um, you can really get a lot of information about someone. Oh, absolutely. And that's where it comes down to is uh, trying to identify those sources. LinkedIn is a good one. Um, Monster, people that have jobs there. Uh, I've even uh, been in a group that we had fake job interviews for a fake competing organization or startup. And then started asking questions like that to the, the people we take out to dinner. So, yeah, absolutely. Sometimes it's a little bit more hands-on, but usually it's just right there. Yeah, that's very interesting stuff. And, you know, a lot of a lot of people, uh, you know, for sure think that it's a, a harmless post or an excitement uh, type thing. And, you know, we all want to build our brand and, and build awareness of our of our own self on, on LinkedIn and, and look at those professional opportunities. but interesting to think of it, how it, uh, how it can be really a security concern. So. And the good standpoint is that's usually not going to happen to most people, but absolutely. Uh, industrial espionage is huge. It has been for thousands of years. Uh, it's going to be for a long time since. With that said, once you've identified potential weaknesses, here we have a, a list. You can uh, send exploits to the server. So that'd be the cyber. Uh, in that instance, you're hoping that there's a port open. And then if you can take it over, great. Uh, phishing. I know a new term that they're starting to push over the last few years is kind of a Moby Dick reference, but uh, good old whaling. And so instead of going for the average uh, fish or the average uh, item, you're going for the big guys, uh, uh, the Moby Dick of the organization, CEO, the CFO. Um, and what's interesting about that is, unfortunately, it's kind of a catch-22. The people that have authorization of the business, those that sign the paycheck, 
are usually the ones that sometimes are the biggest risks. They're usually the biggest targets, but it's the, a lot of times they have more rights than they need. Um, I, I've known CFOs that have had admin rights across the domain, and there's no real reason a CFO that deals with finances needs domain access or domain admin access. But yeah, absolutely. Um, I know here, uh, weak services. Weak services could be usernames and passwords. Um, could be looking for DOS. Uh, and then if they, you can get a DOS, going back to the whole thing about being an actual bad guy, you can then pretend to be their IT service staff. And then at that point, you know, physical access. And once you have physical access, the joke is the game's over. The only thing that really stops that would be full disk encryption. But when the computer turns on, that's out the window too. So basically, when you identify vulnerability, you just try to find some way of exploiting it. And if you can't find anything, that's the proverbial joke is that red teaming is a try harder profession. So just try until you break it. There's a lot of APTs out there, the advanced persistent threats. And sometimes that's what you're trying to mimic as a red team uh, or just try to break in any way you can. But a lot of these things are calling back home. And it's amazing over the years how many services have popped up that allow people to call back home. For example, I know here we're talking about Ngrok and Servio. Ngrok is a site, so they can set up an application on their own home PC behind a firewall, behind hat, behind all their protections, contact outbound their server, and then be able to share with the rest of the world. Same thing with Servio. But Servio is just doing an SSH uh, reverse tunneling, and you can set up your own on a spin up a AWS server. So at that point, uh, you don't necessarily have to worry about firewall and NATs on your side because for years and years I've been doing pen testing. A lot of times I'd be in a hotel. I would definitely not have a, a static IP address. Or if I do, it's usually a, a cloud service because I don't want my, my personal static that I have a couple of um, being tied with uh, potential attack traffic. So yeah, definitely uh, third-party services all over. I know a lot of people have been using Tor over the years. It's harder to call back home on but it does add for a little bit of layer of anonymity. But yeah, outside that, once the connection's been made, grab as much stuff as you can. Don't look at the content that you're getting necessarily, and let me be very specific, unless you have all kinds of time. Most bad guys do. For example, I was uh, brought into an instant response case as trying to figure out how they got in. So we got pulled into a, a risk assessment after we did the investigation. But uh, it was one of those interesting scenarios to where the bad guys we found out during the investigation, they were in there for over a year and a half. So they weren't pulling anything. But for a red team, you might have a week or two, maybe more. So with that said, when you do find things, you always kind of want to look for, I like to call it a pain point of your customer. So with a pain point, um, another assessment that I was brought into, basically this uh, airport, um, brought us in. Uh, so it was a team of two of us, very small team. The specific site had about 900 computers. And out of there, you had about 80 servers. And within the first day, I was able to guess the servers. All of them were basically the same image of a Windows 2008. And they had the same password. So the only thing we weren't able to break with the time that we had was the Active Directory. We had their file server. So we started copying all of their IT data. We copied all their financial data. 
given the presentation, what was interesting about it was the CFO is the one that called us in there. He didn't care. Um, I was able to find a image of his laptop that the IT did about a week before we were brought in. And I stumbled across it and I mounted it in some forensic software and basically found some stuff related to him. And even though that uh, in our report, we were showing that we had pictures of everybody else's uh, passports, we had everything related to their you know, IT, their HR, uh, their finances. He didn't care until at the very end of the uh, presentation, brought up a picture of his uh, wife and kids, his family. At that point, it hit him to where, oh, it affects me personally. This is an issue. So if you're ever able to point out a pain point uh, to the customer, it does give a little bit more. Not only is, is it flashy and good for a show, but it definitely gets a little bit more motion out of the client. So once it's in a system, it's always a good idea not to just stay on that one system. So I know here they're talking about uh, you know, pivoting. Uh, there's another term called island hopping. It's a military term, which is basically what Red Team is anyway. But um, once you hit a system, there's probably all kinds of issues within the network. So that's where a lot of problems happen is you're not able to necessarily compromise the server from the outside due to good firewall rules or they have a low footprint or uh, overhead, whatever. But once you get in, then spread to other systems. And then once you do, try to blend in with the rest of the traffic. So if you're creating users, I do two things. I do create users that look like other users. And then I also create users that are obvious, but I usually do that towards the end. And the reason I do both is, again, testing security and also proving a point that we were not only able to get in, but they should have seen it. But yeah, as far as uh, whenever you're inside, look like normal traffic, uh, you're trying to pretend to be a bad guy. So they're probably not going to catch you uh, if you're able to get in to begin with. If they do, that's great. That's a, a huge good finding for the, the client is that they were looking, they saw it, you can go on from there. But if they don't see it, then again, that's kind of a negative finding. Uh, if they have a cert team, which is supposed to be looking, it's if you're slow and going, blending in, there's a good probability they're not going to catch it. it. Especially if you know the, uh, the baselines to the technology that they're using. And that's how bad guys get away with things for so long. Um, blend in, go deeper, blend in more. And then it's not a bad idea to have some fun too. Because you're hired in there to test their security. So once you go in, not only test it, but make it to where it's useful. Now, Jeremy, I have a, I have a question or a little bit of a thought here. What is the longest, just out of curiosity, what is the longest that you've ever heard of um, someone being undetected in, um, in a system or in a network? Um, probably 10 years at Nortel. Wow. Before they went out of business. Wow. So basically, they never found it. It was the third party that was going through their assets that found that they were making some call homes to Beijing. And then, of course, they asked the question, why is Nortel calling Beijing so often? And then they found them. That's incredible. So, yeah. 10 yeah. years. Wow. With full admin rights and everything. So they had all their trade secrets. Okay. So not being the bad guy, because you're hired in to test their security. So you need to document everything for a few reasons. 
You're trying to help the customer. You're trying to identify weaknesses. And then when you identify them, help them fix them. Um, you're not going to be able to identify everything. But here's the other problem. Is that if you don't document it, something goes wrong. Or for whatever reason, the client gets upset because a server went down in a different country and it suddenly you're going to be responsible for it. They're going to blame you. And you need to be able to prove or disprove that you could or could not have caused the problems. And if you did, justify why. So especially if those systems are outside of scope. So you need to keep uh, an account of pretty much everything that you found, place that you went, everything that you touched. If, for example, you're on one network, you're scanning it, and a system on an entirely different network, even a different country goes down, if you did do it, but you didn't touch their IP address or their system, that is showing in itself another vulnerability. And that's something that the client needs to take care of. So absolutely, documentation is huge because that basically minimizes liability and increases value. A couple other things I did want to mention in this scope too is scope. Uh, always stay within scope. If you go outside and beyond the scope, that does bring you some legal liabilities. So again, if you do take down a server and you attack something that was not within the contract, that is a potential loss on your part. One trick that I've actually learned, I don't know if anybody's seen these videos before, but there's a couple of them floating on YouTube called the Tiger Team. And that's uh, basically a red team or pen test group that uh, has been around for a while. They highlighted something that was very useful and everybody should be doing. But they found vulnerability. They found their ways in on both of those episodes. And at the very end, they were actually saying, you had great security, but this is how we can help you. Every once in a while, that may backfire. I have had scenarios to where found all kinds of issues and the upper level management was basically just, we got the assessment done, we're moving on. We're not fixing the thing. But sometimes, again, if you say everything that uh, you did it was not a waste, but for uh, a few more resources, you can make things a ton better. That definitely makes them a little bit happier. Especially like I mentioned before, the CERT team, they may have found you. And at that, absolutely, that's a great thing. So they may have blocked your IP address. For example, when I do an assessment, I never do it from the IP address that I'm currently in. I always go through a VPN or some other proxies. And the main reason is, is I want to see how long it's going to take for my IP address to get blocked and my stuff to stop working. And if it never gets blocked or stopped, that's great for me, but it's bad for them. If it does get stopped, then absolutely, some to document. They were great. Um, they identified me within five minutes. They blocked me, switched IP addresses. Same thing happened. But again, when you do find things that are bad, it could be a simple fix. It could be misconfiguration problem, or it could be uh, an inherent uh, issue with the technology that they have. For example, uh, I was doing a, an assessment on a, uh, a large organization down south, and they actually had some pretty good security. One of the weaknesses we found was that if somebody was going to HR, the security guards would just let them right up. Everybody else, they had to be escorted. So we basically said, we have uh, an appointment with HR. We walk right in, and uh, we go to the IT staff because we're supposed to meet them. And, of course, they were surprised we got in. But uh, then they changed their mind. 
because we were supposed to have some credentials and start a basic uh, uh, risk assessment. And they said, okay, um, we just want to see if you can do it. Here's a phone line. And they had a voice over IP system. Um, here's the network cable to the phone. Uh, get into our network now. So we're talking. And luckily, uh, my colleague was taking up most of the time. And so basically at that point, um, I was able to hook up my system. I ran uh, a couple tools, uh, one called NetDiscover to find out what IP ranges and MAC addresses were in the area. I found a printer, spoofed the MAC address, and then was able to get right on their network. And that took maybe about two, two and a half minutes. And what I found out later on is that they had an ACK system, network access control system, but it wasn't fully functional because they had a lot of systems like printers or old printers, uh, identity management system that they had to whitelist. So all the bad guy would have to do is identify one of those. And I got lucky. First try, I got one that was being whitelisted. And that got right past them. So again, highlighted the good and then pointed out one of the weaknesses in their technology. And they were able to uh, make their area a little bit more secure. Well, Jeremy, thanks so much for for that. And that's some some interesting stuff that, you know, people looking to get into this, um, this red team side of things. Um, we have a new offering that I wanted to talk about real quick before we get to the Q&A section. Um, so please continue to ask questions. Um, we've gotten a few through the Q&A and a few through chat as well. Um, but we're saving a couple minutes here. So while we let some more questions stream in and while we look through those, um, just wanted to get get you a little overview on um, our new Red Team Operations course. So InfoSec Institute recently released two new courses around offensive and defensive security job roles. Uh, first is the Red Team Operations, which, you know, Jeremy just shared a lot of interesting information about with us um, and cyber threat hunting. Um, but in the course, you'll learn how to perform a comprehensive Red Team Operations pen test. Um, you know, of course, what Jeremy covered today, all of the all of the um, things that you need to do to test a network and, and think like the bad guy and be that bad guy. Um, but the course will also prepare you to pass the certified red team operations professional exam so that you can prove your red team knowledge uh, to your employer or job recruiters um, and you know advance your career in that sense. Um, so we also have a really cool promotion going on. So I know Jeremy, you have a few of these uh, a few of these hacking toys, don't you? Uh, yeah, I actually have uh, been using the rubber ducky, which is um, those little thumb drives at the bottom for what since 2012. Um, Wi-Fi pineapples. You can do a lot of this stuff yourself, but it takes a lot of time and effort. So this automates a lot of the attacks. So yeah, absolutely. Sure. Very cool. Well, with the with the promotion, you can get up to five hundred dollars of ethical hacking toys. Um, some of the ones you see there are the Hack 5 Elite Field Kit, the Physical Engagement Bundle, um, the Wi-Fi Pineapple, which Jeremy just mentioned he used. Um, but some interesting tools to, to monkey around with and get that hands-on experience as well. Um, so wrapping up here, we've got a few minutes to ask Jeremy some questions. Um, I think one of the first ones we'll go with is, um, what are the most common vulnerabilities that you find on midsize or small companies, small businesses uh, versus the larger corporations? To be quite honest, um, the majority of the vulnerabilities I do find are usually misconfigurations, uh, bad passwords, or unpatched systems. 
Um, outside that, if you can't find any of those, then the next uh, best bet is social engineering. So human trust. Sure. And do you see more um, more issues with, you know, I know sometimes in larger companies, um, it's easier with the social engineering because everyone doesn't know each other. Um, in some of those big companies, is that is that a point that you see often? Yes. And the smaller the company, the harder it is to social engineer. I did have an issue where I was trying to um, send a, a calling campaign and I picked the wrong person. I picked a person that uh, CIO was actually dating and they knew that I was not. <laughs> well, that's a, that's an interesting way to, you know, to figure it out. Um, <laughs> that's kind of funny. Um, another question here um, from Colin, have you started working along um, blue teams after a successful red team engagement? Yes. Uh, sometimes it's before and after. So I know when I get called in, sometimes it's right after an incident. So I have to do instant response. And then I work with them to try to do the investigation, then plug up some items. And then I will testing and then go back to them and see if anything can be fixed. So absolutely. Sure. So both sides of that, of that spectrum, the bad guy and the, and the good guy to fit our analogy here. Yep. So let's see. Another question, um, what is a good company that utilizes a VPN or, or how can a company um, do that if the home phone gives your position away, I believe the question is kind of asking? I've worked with a, a lot of law enforcement organizations over the years, helping them set up investigation systems like uh, um, open source intelligence, gathering things in that area. So what we usually do is... Uh, we set up a router that has a VPN service and a lot of VPN services, uh, some of them don't log, some of them do, but uh, especially depending on what country they're based out of. Uh, I know in the U S there's certain things. So if you're not breaking the law, it shouldn't be an issue. So any one of the big ones usually works. I know I use uh Viper VPN and they just stop logging due to GDRP because uh, there's a liability there. There's another organization I do use called BT guard. And they focus primarily on people who do BitTorrent traffic, so they're not logging much anything. But if you do that with a router, you can also set up a virtual machine or a couple of VMs on the inside, and then basically have it to where one VM goes and passes through another as a gateway. So even if your system does get compromised and calls back to a bad guy, it's not getting the right IP address. It's getting some other random internal LAN address, or if they do get the external, it's going to be going through at least a VPN service provider. Jeremy, another question that came through on the chat here. Um, so this person would like to know the best way to get a red team job. Um, do they need to learn pen testing? Um, do they need to learn social engineering? Or, or can you just kind of specialize right away into that red team space? That is a very good question. Uh, so you need to find an organization that has a red team. And then, to be quite honest, um, use them as your first target. <laughs> Try to identify the weaknesses that they're trying to overcome and then focus on those. I do know pen testing is a um, huge start for it. Uh, social engineering is a huge start for it. So it depends on what their needs are and absolutely uh, focus on learning what their needs are. Uh, with that said, it is a good idea to know a little bit more than just one specialization. But yeah, 
find out what their, their weaknesses and try to exploit them. Looks like we've got time for just uh, one or two more questions here. So another question is, many users feel that IT security is a nuisance. Um, how do you deal with that mindset? Um, that's a question that we deal with a lot here at InfoSec Institute is, is helping people um, you know, care about IT and security. But Jeremy, do you have any tips on that? So that's where if you find a pain point, which could be management. So sometimes that's a top-down approach. If you can get management to care about it because it became personal to them or focused on something that was interesting to them, then they're more likely to um, support it. And then uh, basically trickles down. But sometimes it does come to be where you have to find personal information based off the users. I know a lot of companies may not care as much about their employee data as their customer data because yeah, customer data can sue more than employees here to lose the job. But yeah, if you make it personal, then it usually has a little bit bigger of an emotional uh, connection. Sure. We're about to run out of time here. So last question that we'll um, go for came through on the chat and it says, um, I have an IT career, but I don't have offensive experience. Um, how do I transition? Well, there's a, a couple ways you can do that. Um, you can find a security team that does risk assessment, and then you can um, go that route. Uh, another route would be, to be quite honest, build your own lab. Uh, you can build your own lab with virtualization, VMware, uh, VirtualBox, uh, KVM, or LibVirt on Linux, and then just start attacking those systems, try to get it consistent. Um, and th that's from the cyber side, at least. Um, read as much as you can, study up, and then basically try to build a value for the organization. I know some um, people are able to talk their management into building uh, certain capabilities within an organization. But if you're trying to get within another organization, yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, um, IT definitely helps, but trying to get some of the other knowledge is invaluable. And labs are great. Thanks again for um, joining us today, Jeremy. Um, just a lot of great information and, and can really help those people that are interested in the red team side of things. This concludes today's episode of CyberSpeak with InfoSec Institute. Thank you all for listening. Remember, if you enjoyed today's episode, you can find many more, including webinars, tutorials, and interviews with security thought leaders by visiting infosecinstitute.com slash cyberspeak for the full list of episodes. Also, if you'd like to try our free security IQ package, which includes phishing simulators you can use to fake fish and then educate your colleagues and friends in the ways of security awareness, visit infosecinstitute.com slash security IQ. Thanks once again to our guest, Jeremy Martin, and thank you all again for listening. We'll speak to you next week. <laughs>